0: Welcome to today's Global Challenges podcast. I'm Professor Richard Blackburn from the School of Design at the University of Leeds. And joining me today on this podcast, we have Professor Paul Kaye from the School of Geography, also from the University of Leeds, and our joint PhD student, Olivia Skilbeck. So today's podcast is focused on microfibers in the ocean. You may have heard a lot about microfibers recently, particularly microplastics in the environment and how this is becoming a concern and you may or may not be aware that there's a lot of discussion around the idea that microfibers are generated through washing, through laundry processes and that that's one of the main routes that these fibers are getting into the environment. But what do you really know about these microfibers? What do you know about their origins and, and what do you think about what's happening to the, to them in the environment and how does this make you change your habits if at all. I'm very much from a textiles perspective. My background is textile chemistry, colour chemistry, dyeing. But I think it'd be really interesting to hear from a geography background in terms of what their perception is of this current microfibres issue. So I'll start by handing over to Paul. Paul, what's your perspective on what you're seeing as a geographer, as a water scientist in relation to this area? Really what we're looking at, with
1: microfibers is one of a number of what we call emerging pollutants in the environment. So if we go decades back, water quality scientists like myself have looked at what we'd call kind of standard water quality parameters. So we've looked at nutrients like nitrogen and phosphorus that maybe come from fertilizers. We've looked at sediments that might come from soils of agricultural fields. We've looked at metals a lot that came from, you know, industrial processes, but Since the probably late 1990s, the area of emerging contaminants has taken off. And so this, as it suggests, is where we've started to look at pollutants in the environment, both rivers and the oceans, that scientists haven't really looked at before, and the general public aren't aware of, and there's no real management strategies in place to do anything about them. So... In the late 90s, and the early 2000s, we started looking at particular chemicals like pharmaceuticals. And then that's gone through to quite recent, where really microplastics, microfibers are the kind of new kid on the block, if you like. So it doesn't really make a lot of sense that we haven't looked at microfibers before. So since the 1950s, they've been producing increasing volumes. But as often happens with science... Um, It takes somebody to have the idea, and it it takes a while to have that idea. So really, microplastics generally have became the emerging contaminant, and there's loads of work all around the world going on on microplastics. And what we found in the microplastics research is that microfibers are by far the most prevalent type of microplastic in the environment. So we had the microbead ban. But what we've realized since through our monitoring and other work is that actually there aren't that many microbeads out there and it's fibers that are out there in greater quantities than other plastics. But then going on from that, we realized actually
0: it's not just plastic
1: microfibers, it's natural microfibers, so things like cotton
0: as well. You would forgive people for having the assumption that natural fibers just biodegrade. So people think that Plastic fibers, and I guess what they're referring to there is synthetic fibers, so your polyester, nylon, acrylic, etc. that they're the ones that you're going to find. The vast majority of scientists, when they're actually looking in the environment, are finding that it's not plastic fibers, is it? The main one that seems to be found is cotton, you know? And so how do we explain that? Why do they not just biodegrade? Cotton's natural, isn't it? Why is it not biodegrading?
1: It's human perception, isn't it? We think if things are natural, they're all right. But it's not the first time we've done this i mean it happens with pesticides as well so lots of really effective pesticides are entirely natural so if you look at metals that occur naturally in soils they can act as brilliant pesticides but we assume that a natural pesticide oh that that's not so bad and the synthetic one that must be really bad but actually it can often be the other way around with pesticides the synthetic ones are much less harmful And it's the natural compounds that we use as pesticides, which are actually the the most damaging. And it's exactly what we've done with fibres. We've just assumed that natural fibres like cotton, well, they're natural, so they must be all right. It's a logical perception to have, but it's just not true.
0: Is this something you thought, Olivia, you're new into this subject area? Your your first degree is is Masters in Geography, isn't it?
2: Coming from a completely geography background, I had no idea the process that a cotton fibre would go through to become a garment. I just assumed, as probably a lot of people do, that it comes from the cotton plant, it's manufactured into a garment. I didn't realise the whole stage processes that it actually goes under and how much we are actually altering these natural fibres. So the cotton that you grow on a plant is far from the cotton that you'll find in a t-shirt. cotton that's released from laundering contain potentially harmful chemicals. which if these do break down easier than plastics then are these chemicals released more readily into the environment from these fibers so they're not natural anymore
0: what we do when we we take a cotton fiber the first thing we do is we strip out all of the natural fats and oils and waxes that occur so we basically clean the fiber quite harshly then we usually bleach it And in that process of bleaching, we change effectively the chemistry of the surface of the cotton fibers. Then we do all sorts of other treatments. So before we've got very far down that preparation process, we've already transformed that cotton into something that nature doesn't recognize. Then what do we do? We put dyes on it. A a lot of the most common dyes that we use these days are permanently bonded to the cotton so that you can't wash them off, which is great for your colors staying the same color for a long time, but to achieve that, the dye is permanently effectively welded to the cotton and you just can't take it off there. Then we might put other special finishes on there, like waterproofing finishes and antimicrobial agents and other things to keep the structure of cotton rigid so that when you wear it, it doesn't crease and you don't have to iron it a lot. So you can see that the fiber goes through a big journey and lots of separate different processes before you get it as a a cotton t-shirt so next time you are purchasing a cotton garment or a garment that's got cotton in it and you're doing it because you think you're buying a natural fiber you can rest assured that it is not at that point it is no longer a natural fiber in your phd olivia what are you intending to do to try and answer this question about these separate processes that i've just been through in terms of what their impact is on the fibers in the environment and how they degrade
2: I'm planning on exposing different fibers, so i'll expose fibers that have been under treatment processes such as either bleaching or scouring, and I'll expose those to different environments I'm looking at soil environments, marine water environments, freshwater environments, and potentially a sludge environment as well, and then measuring the biodegradation of these fibers over time so i'll leave them for a set period of time, and then come back, extract these fibers that I've added to the environments through different processes, and then looking at them under scanning electron max, which will let me analyze the typography of the fiber really close
0: up. An electron microscope is something where you can zoom in, you know, really, 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 really fast. So you can see things at you know, incredibly magnified scales. One of the things that you mentioned was you you were thinking about it in different environments and can... Olivia Paul, can you explain why if something degrades in a soil burial test, we can't just then extrapolate that and say, well, therefore it must degrade in the ocean then? Well, I think what I'd say
1: is that, you know, different environments are hugely different. So even just looking at soils, you're going to get different constituents and different minerals are going to be in there. I think soil is one of the the areas of the world that we know least about. We're still finding new organisms in soil now. So there's going to be different microbial populations in different soils, which would impact their breakdown. And then if you start going to rivers, if you start going to oceans, just different things like different temperatures, different levels of light, all those sorts of things are going to have an enormous impact on how quickly a microfiber or anything else breaks down.
0: So we need to test it in a realistic environment then, don't we? If we were to make any judgment on whether a fiber does or doesn't degrade in the ocean, And like you said, that could mean lots of different things, depending upon whereabouts that ocean might be, then then we have to test it in something that's more realistic of that environment. I think one of the other questions that I was going to ask, why do water companies not just clean all this up anyway? You know, these things are going down our drains from our domestic houses, from our laundry processes, when we're consuming pharmaceuticals. why doesn't you know we're in Leeds here why doesn't yorkshire water just clean up everything that we put down the drain why is anything a problem at all how do they manage to get through
1: i think it's a really important point and
0: i think the thing that most people
1: probably don't realize is that water companies generally do a really really good job of cleaning things up so if we look at the volume of microfibers that goes into a wastewater treatment plant, they usually remove more than 99% of the fibers that go into the plant. So the water treatment process is pretty damn good. But we put so many of them into the plant, just that 0.1 of a percent getting into rivers means that in the environment, we gradually see a buildup of these things through rivers and into the oceans, can say water companies should take these things out. Legally, water companies aren't required to take these things out. They're not tested for the removal of these things. So wastewater treatment plants are designed to take solids out. They're designed to take things like phosphate out, and they do that very, very well. Um, but as we as we discover new things in the environment, it takes a while before policy catches up
0: and of course it's not only from domestic sources that these pollutants are getting into the environment i think one of the mistakes that's been made in assuming that it's all coming from laundry i think that's a huge mistake we mentioned all of those different treatments preparation treatments dyeing finishing processes and and often a lot of those treatments are conducted in different locations but even if they are conducted in the same location every single one of those processes has a huge opportunity to release microfibers. In fact, it's much more likely that microfibers will be released at those points of processing in the textiles industry than they ever would be from a domestic laundering situation. So for example, when you're spinning cotton or weaving cotton, if you ever go into one of these factories, it's clouds of fibers in that they have exhaust systems to remove the fibers from the factory so that the people working there don't breathe them in. But then if you look where it's going, it just goes straight out of the building into the environment. So Paul, maybe you can say something about that. So if something goes into the air, if it's an air emission of a fiber, how on earth does that get into the water?
1: Yes. I mean, microfibers just end up everywhere, you know, so they're these tiny little things and like you say, they get into the air and I'm not sure I've ever worked on a pollutant um, where aerial transport has been so important. So in the monitoring that we've done, we found microfibers in places in rivers where you really wouldn't expect them to be there. You know, there's no obvious source around that area where they could come from. They've been measured at the poles and things in ice now. So they go up into the air and then they're they're brought out of the air when it rains. And so they can get directly into rivers like that, or they can be deposited anywhere. You know, it could be farmer's field, it could be roads, it could be our houses, whatever. It rains, they get washed off into into drains or tributaries of big rivers and gradually work their way through the usual processes into rivers and then off out into the oceans.
0: And I think the thing that convinced me that it wasn't laundry was the detection of polypropylene in the oceans because as we said before cotton is the main fiber that's that's been found in a lot of the research but then after that if you look at the most commonly found synthetic fiber it's polypropylene and people might say well so what well the polypropylene is not used in clothing it's mainly used in carpets and in upholstery and in things like ppe those types of products so if It was laundry, which was a main route. We wouldn't see any polypropylene because it isn't laundered. So just the evidence of polypropylene being there in the environment says to me that there are significant other routes for these microfibers to find their way ultimately into our oceans. So I think at that point, it'd be interesting to come back to Olivia and to say, well, if you're going to look at all of these different points in the life time of cotton in terms of cotton such a big issue why is it a big issue why it's not degrading what is it that you really want to achieve from your research
2: i think making people more aware that even though we might be using more quotation marks natural fibers natural materials that isn't necessarily the answer to all of our environmental issues i think we need to start thinking more big long-term about what what is going to be the solution to microfibres, plastic or natural, in the environment. Um, because as Paul said earlier, banning microbeads, it seemed like an easy fix at the time. But looking at the science, there aren't that many microbeads in the environment in the first place. It will be really nice to see changing the way that companies or manufacturers um view materials, either natural or synthetic, would be really good.
0: That's a really important point because one of the things that brands, apparel brands have done is move people towards more natural fibers. Headline that you see in the news is micro plastic microfibers in the environment. And the first thing a brand does is say making commitments to move away from synthetic fibers, we're going to use more cotton. And actually that could be a a terrible decision that could actually make the situation Much worse, again, it's perceptions, isn't it? You know, that natural fibers are better options when actually cotton is probably the most environmentally damaging fiber in terms of its production because of all the pesticides and the water usage and the land required. And even if you use organic cotton, which is still a tiny fiber, you're still using huge amounts of water and land. The amount of land that's used for growing cotton is unbelievable. So to say, let's use more cotton is a terrible idea from an agricultural perspective, and it would seem a terrible idea from a microfiber perspective. And yet it's a very easy thing that a brand can can do to push people down these choices. So fundamental scientific research is incredibly important. The work that's been done today, it's obviously very much a developing area in science. But it's really, really important that we do the experiments in the right way. So can you say a little bit about... What you're doing there, and, and effectively, what's new about your research?
2: I found that the extraction of microplastics and fibres um, it's widely done in any water sample, but in soil, when you get to soils or more uh, organic-heavy samples, there really isn't that much experimental methods that have been tried and tested. So. With my samples, I chose to freeze-dry them and then break up the organic matter. And then exposing those fibres to different environments is really important as well, just to make sure we get a wide range of really representative data of what we can expect to find in the environment.
0: That's a really interesting point, isn't it, about making it representative? Because you can imagine that a brand, for example, could use one of those tests and say, this product is biodegradable and everybody goes, oh, well, that's great then. I don't need to worry about it. Whereas if it's not representative of a true environmental situation, then that's very misleading, isn't it? Because it it may be biodegradable in a laboratory under extreme conditions does not mean biodegradable in the ocean, does it? At all.
2: Any experimental methods that I apply to this study really need to be representative of what we would expect to find in the environment because otherwise it's adding to the pile of um, studies that have already been done I think something really needs to be done on making sure that what we find in the lab we really expect to find in the environment just to make this research really really worthwhile.
0: One of the other important questions is what is the actual impact of those fibres because we, we're not really talked about that previously to a large extent we've said that we find in these fibers but what does that actually mean what are they potentially doing in the environment why should we be worried i think the honest answer at the moment is nobody really knows that well we know that they can
1: be ingested by organisms and that happens quite a lot so there might be organisms in the sea or rivers or you know on land as well so they ingest them in some cases might cause problems in their digestive tracts and others it might go straight through the animal if you compare these fibers and other plastics to some other chemicals in the environment you might say that they're not necessarily as toxic there have certainly been some experiments done where there are chronic impact measured so damage to dna we talked a little bit about chemicals being associated with these plastics as well so what we call facilitated transport so we can have really toxic chemicals that can stick to the plastics, what we call absorption, and and the plastics can act as a vector for those toxic chemicals getting into organisms. So that that can be one impact. But the bottom line is that a lot of the experiments that have been carried out so far, and there haven't really been that many experiments. There's only a few years of research really. But a lot of the experiments have kind of taken a an unrealistic environment and use very high concentrations and relatively short exposure periods. And this is a wider problem within environmental risk assessment. It's quite difficult sometimes to, to carry out experiments where you might be looking at impacts occurring over years or, or tens of years. It comes back to what Olivia was saying. We've got to try and make things realistic. And, and that's not always easy in the laboratory. So at the moment, I'm not sure we, we really know what the impacts are, but you could guarantee that
0: they're not good. And that's the same for both synthetic and natural fibers, because all of those things that you were mentioning about acting as vectors and transport and and, and effective release mechanisms, that applies to all fibers. And and actually, I know from some conversations I've had with environmental toxicologists at the University of Exeter, saying that from that perspective, they think that natural fibers could actually be worse in in terms of their ability to do that, because they have a, a stronger ability to hold on to a wider variety of different toxins and and pollutants and, and other things like that, rather than if you think about polyester as a material, it's it's pretty inert. I would be the least concerned about polyester transporting chemicals and releasing chemicals, uh, and probably most concerned about something like cotton. I think that's that's a really important consideration. The way I see it is the the only
1: real solution is that we stop consuming so much and. We- I don't think there's any getting away from that. There's no magic thing that we can do that gets rid of all these problems through our consumption that we end up putting all these things into the environment. And there are so many of us and we're consuming at such a rate um, that we have to accept if we want to live life the way we do at the moment, then environmental pollution is always going to
0: happen. One of the arguments I've actually heard, believe it or not, is people saying, oh, well, if if these microfibers have been released through laundry, I just won't wash my clothes. I'll just buy something and wear it a few times and then throw it away and never wash it because, you know, then I'm not going to release any microfibers into the environment. That's obviously a terrible thing to do in terms of negatives associated with the manufacturing process in terms of just consuming materials and in, in, and creating waste. It comes back to that idea that even if that was completely unrealistic, but even if you had that as your kind of adoptive mechanism that as i've said before we think that the the main release points for these microfibers is probably in manufacture so if you're going to buy more and more items which means more and more items manufactured actually you're just going to create more and more microfibers through that mechanism irrespective of whether you reduce your laundering or or, or whatever that is i think if people are looking for advice in their their own laundry practices for how they can reduce the release of microfibers to to minimize it. We did some work a few years ago with one of my former PhD students, Lucy Cotton, great name, and she found that reducing temperature is good in terms of saving energy and things like that, but it's actually the time of the wash. If you look at modern washing machines, a lot of the cycles, the kind of regular normal cycles, uh, over two hours, some three-hour washes. And y- you have an option for like a short wash for like an hour or 30 minutes, something like that. And washing for a, a much shorter time has a huge impact on the number of microfibers released because it's a mechanical agitation. It's just the time of the clothing just being tossed around in the, uh, in the washing machine. So even though it's not going to prevent all microfibers being released because of the various release points in its life cycle, If you want to do something that makes a difference in in your own way, you will reduce the microfibers released from your own clothing by reducing your laundry cycles. And also, you will save loads of energy and water in the process and that your clothes will still be clean. I think something else I would
1: add as well is Going on from my previous point is that we became so detached from the world that we live in. When we talk about ecosystems, we think of ourselves as, you know, as humans, as being separate to the rest of the ecosystem, but we're not. And I think we've just got to get back to thinking of ourselves as an, an integral part of the world that we live in. And we've all got to think about what we can actually do. Um, and so, I mean, you talked about some things we can do with textiles there, but there are lots of other examples that are, you know, not directly relevant to what we're talking about. But one of the great, greatest things is food waste. We talk about pollution that comes from agricultural land, for instance, but one of the things that we do is throw about a third of our food away. So all that pollution that we've created would point us anyway, because we never ate it, we just, we throw it away.
0: Absolutely. This is a, <laughs> a, a, a segue into a, another podcast for another time. Cause a lot of the research that we're doing at the moment, one of the ideas that we've got there is using some of that food waste, or particularly food byproducts, unavoidable food byproducts, as sources of raw materials to make fibres and to make colorants. And so, of course, we shouldn't be wasting food, but in some circumstances, there are unavoidable byproducts such as skins of fruit and, and byproducts from making cheese and things like that. And, and we can make things from those materials. And thinking ahead, bringing it back to this issue around microfibers potentially making fibers that if they are released we can design them to biodegrade can we make them more biocompatible with nature that if we can never avoid the microfiber release issue can we design our fibers to work with the environment to degrade maybe that's one of the ways that we can we can go once we understand this we'll require that huge effort of of collaboration between different scientists with different disciplines.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in a lot of areas, we've got as far as we can go without that sort of collaboration. It is absolutely fundamental that people work together. It's kind of a cliche, but yeah, by working with people you wouldn't normally necessarily work with, you think they work on a totally different thing. But actually, there's some really important things you can learn from other people.
0: So that brings us to the end of today's podcast. I'd like to thank Professor Paul Kay and Olivia Skillbeck for their contributions today, the contributions that we will only see more and more of through this collaboration as it develops. And thank you for tuning in today. I hope it's provided you with some food for thought, some interesting ideas and take that message away that when you are purchasing your garments, when you are laundering your garments, when you're thinking about getting rid of your garments, think about the impact of their manufacture, what they might release into the environment and also what they release during their lifetime with you and on you and how that might be affecting the global environment that we all live in. So thank you very much and see you on another podcast at another time.